Welcome to the Apple for the Teacher podcast, the true crime podcast that features the good apples and the bad apples within the school system. My name is Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host. So join me as I present school stories that are tragic, shocking, unbelievable and outright bizarre. Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode. This is episode number eight and my name is Anna Thomas. Let's start with a preview of the stories today. Story one is The Bad Apple and is called I Spy With My Little Eye. Why was Big Brother watching Blake? Story two is The Good Apple and is called Time Bomb. Who was the strange man outside the school gate? Now, before we get into the stories, Let's just have some shout outs to some lovely people who have listened to the podcast. Firstly, hello to Kat, who hosts the YouTube channel, My So-Called Teacher Life. If you're a teacher, why not check it out? Hello also to everyone on Instagram who has liked and commented on my posts. I'm a newbie to podcasting, so thank you so much for your support. Recently, I gained new listeners from Canada, so thank you for joining me. This actually reminds me of a podcast I listened to recently about the Canadian maple syrup heist. When someone stole 3,000 tonnes of maple syrup in Quebec, valued at $18 million. I just love this type of bizarre story. If you'd like to listen, it was on the podcast Beyond Bizarre True Crime. There are many other interesting stories on this podcast. And the host is a really great storyteller. So have a listen. This first Bad Apple story took place in Philadelphia, USA in 2010. Blake Robbins was a high school student in the Lower Merion School District. On a typical day, he would come home from school, go into his bedroom and open his school-issued Apple MacBook. He would do a little homework, surf the web and check social media. The computer stayed on in his room, but Blake had no idea what was about to happen. One day at school, the vice principal asked to see Blake in her office. She showed Blake a photo of himself in his bedroom. He was totally shocked that the school had taken photos of him at home. She claimed the photo showed him engaging in improper conduct. It seemed to show him with pills in his hand which the school said looked like drugs of some kind. The photo was taken from his school laptop. Unbeknownst to Blake, the camera on his laptop had been peering into his private life and had taken some 400 photos of him. He explained that the so-called pills were only lollies. After discussing what happened, Blake and his family decided to sue the school because they reprimanded him for improper behaviour, which was based on photos that his school-issued computer secretly took of him at home. This, they said, was an invasion of privacy. Prosecutors and the FBI opened an inquiry into the incident. The investigation uncovered that Blake was not the only student being secretly photographed. Many other students were secretly snapped. There were thousands of webcam images of students, including pictures of students at home, doing such things as getting dressed, in bed, 
or even partially dressed. The parents of daughters were particularly concerned about the invasion of privacy. Another student, Jalil Hassan, also decided to sue. The school issued free MacBooks to its students. The district superintendent had announced the program with great fanfare. He said, Every high school student will have their own personal laptop enabling an authentic, mobile, 21st century learning environment. While other districts are exploring ways to make these kinds of technology initiatives possible, our programs are already in place. It is no accident we are ahead of the curve. In Lower Merion, our responsibility is to lead. The investigation discovered that the computers had remote tracking software, which was used to locate lost or stolen computers, not spy on students, as Blake and his family alleged. Blake said he had never reported his computer missing and therefore did not know why the program was activated on his laptop. The school said he had damaged or destroyed two other school laptops and had failed to pay the required $55 insurance fee on the one he had. As a result, the school argued that taking the laptop home was a breach of school policy. Let's look at the school's technology setup, which allowed this incident to occur. They purchased computer management software to handle the ever-growing size of their network infrastructure. The software had a theft recovery feature called Theft Track. In the event of laptop theft, the tracking feature could be remotely activated manually by the technology staff. Even after laptops were located, the remote tracking continued to be left on inadvertently and therefore kept monitoring students at home. There were at least 60,000 images captured by the remote tracking program. The information was uploaded and stored to the server and then manually purged and reviewed. It was found that two of the technology staff had the following conversation when viewing the photos. One man said in an email, this is awesome. It's like a little Lower Merion School District soap opera. The other replied, I know, I love it. It had been noticed by several students that a small green light would appear next to the webcam. Students were told that the light lets you know when the webcam is active. One teacher said that she had taped over her webcam because of this. Of course, no one including the teachers, really knew the full extent of what was happening. The American Civil Liberties Union also got involved, saying the right to privacy inside one's home is sanctosanct, the right of a man to retreat into his own home and there be free from unreasonable governmental intrusion, stands at the very core of the Fourth Amendment. The FBI investigated whether the district broke any criminal wiretap laws, but prosecutors declined to bring any charges and would not prosecute the school administrators. They did not find evidence that would establish beyond a reasonable doubt that anyone involved had criminal intent. The Philadelphia School District agreed to settle the two lawsuits, with $175,000 going to Blake and $10,000 to student Jalil Hassan. 
with a further $425,000 in legal fees going to the legal team, making a total of $610,000. While the case was settled, it shocked Blake's family that spying on people in their homes wasn't deemed a crime. They felt the district was getting a free pass. They felt it was a case of laws not up to the task of regulating social networks and digital devices. Senator Arlen Specter took up the case, introducing the Surreptitious Video Surveillance Act of 2010 to amend the Federal Wiretap Act to clarify that it is illegal to capture silent visual images inside another person's home. He said that, Many Americans would be surprised to learn that there is no federal statute to protect them from being secretly videotaped in their home. The proposed new law was not passed. Now, that was back in 2010, so I would think that such a law does now exist in the US. While the case was settled, Blake's family wanted to make sure this didn't happen to anyone else's children and wanted to do something positive with their experience. His father said, we'd like to lobby Congress to change the federal laws about spying and webcam spying and privacy rights. Our US Senator has introduced legislation to make it a federal crime to prevent this type of thing to go on. Blake talked about the incident saying, at first I couldn't really say anything because my assistant principal was beating me up for supposedly selling drugs. At first it didn't occur to me, then eventually I thought it was shocking that they would do this. For Holly, Blake's mum, the toughest part of her was the initial shock of learning her son was being watched in his bedroom. I didn't know who else they captured. I have small little children, a seven-year-old son and an eight-year-old son, and my daughter also was being spied on. They were watching her. She is a high school student and they watched her for a week. Holly says she's concerned when she opens a computer now. I'm even concerned when I walk into a dressing room. I just always feel the fear of being watched. Blake says his computer behaviours haven't changed much, but he is keeping an eye on the green camera light on his computer. Blake will receive $175,000 of the settlement in a trust. He will receive $25,000 up front. He plans to get a car when he is 18 and plans to invest the trust money. The Lower Merion School District issued a statement that said in part, Our district was cleared of any criminal wrongdoing. That was an important moment for us. It confirmed the results of an independent investigation and the district's own initial findings. The district acknowledged and apologised for any mistakes and addressed them immediately. We revised our policies and procedures, reaffirmed our commitment to technology and put safeguards into place to ensure the privacy of our students, staff and school families. We recognised that in this case, a lengthy, costly trial would benefit no one. It would have been an unfair distraction for our students and staff and it would have cost taxpayers additional dollars that are better devoted to education. We also wanted to be sensitive to the welfare of the student involved in the case, given the possible ramifications of what would have been a highly publicised trial. Bottom line, 
it is time to resolve this matter and ensure that the district's resources are focused squarely on educating our children. Following the incident, the school board unanimously adopted new measures which would prohibit the district from remotely accessing the student's laptop unless it has written permission from the student or a parent or guardian. The theft track system was removed from computers and all the photographic evidence was destroyed. Well, this story could have ended much worse if it had been in the hands of unethical network technicians. It makes me think of pedophile rings that share thousands of images. The technicians were treating the photos as a joke. They could easily have done something unethical with them, but thankfully this didn't happen. All right, let's now have a break before story two. Before I start this next story, I need to provide a warning that it contains a crime against a child and may not be suitable for everyone. For this story, we go to Pakistan in 2014. I will try my best with the names in this story, so my apologies if I don't say the names correctly. This story centres around a 14-year-old student named Adizaz Hassan Bangash. Adizaz was outside the school gate of his high school with two of his schoolmates. He had not been allowed to attend morning assembly due to his tardiness that day. The students noticed a man dressed in a school uniform who asked the boys where the school was. The boys became suspicious. One of the students noticed a detonator on the man's vest. The man started walking faster towards the school when Adizaz tried to stop him by throwing a stone at him. The other boys ran inside the school. Then Adizaz ran towards the man and grabbed him, prompting him to detonate his explosive-laden vest. Adizaz and the bomber died at the scene. No other students were harmed. His act thus saved the lives of hundreds of students who were gathered at morning assembly. The area where Adizaz lived is a troubled district bordering Pakistan's tribal areas. It is rife with sectarian violence, with attacks against Shia and Sunni Muslims. Many Shiite Muslims had been killed by the Taliban. Adizaz was known for openly criticising armed radical Sunni groups. The group Lashkar-e-Jangvi claimed responsibility for the attack. They are a Sunni supremist and jihadist militant organisation and declared the school students were the intended target. Violence and militancy was, and still is, a fact of life in Pakistan. Youths are asked to volunteer to protect their villages. They don't look up to the state anymore to protect them. Threats to schools are common. Adizaz was a large boy and his friends would joke and tease him, saying, The boy is too big for a bomb. There is little that a bomb can do to hurt you. They talked about suicide bombers all the time, given that it was a clear and present danger. The last time they talked about it was two days before Adizaz died. They were sitting up on the hill where the school is, the one that Adizaz died protecting, the one now named after him. Given his girth, they told him he wouldn't be able to run away to save his life. Adizaz wanted to join the army. When he would go to the mountains for hunting, he would wear military fatigues. People were in awe of the army and like all teenagers, 
he wanted to impress his peers with his uniform and his gun. Adazaz's father said that his son made a sacrifice to save the lives of others. My son made his mother cry, but saved hundreds of mothers from crying for their children. He has made us proud by valiantly intercepting the bomber and saving the lives of hundreds of his fellow students. I am happy that my son has become a martyr by sacrificing his life for a noble cause. Mr. Bangash works in the UAE and was only able to reach his village the day after his son's funeral. Many people are coming to see me, but if they try to express sympathy, I tell them to congratulate me instead of becoming the father of a martyr. I will even be more than happy if my second son also sacrifices his life for the country. Scores of people attended his funeral to pay their respects. A floral wreath was laid on his grave on behalf of the Pakistani army chief. Adazaz's story led to an outpouring of emotion on television and on social media. A Facebook page had been set up in tribute to his act. Some Pakistanis compared him to Malala Yousafzai, the schoolgirl shot by the Taliban in October 2012 for promoting education for all boys and girls. She was the winner of the 2014 Nobel Peace Prize and described Adazaz as brave and courageous, and his bravery must never be forgotten. Our country is blessed with brave people. The story of Adazaz Hassan reflects their reliance, courage and bravery. She pledged to donate £5,000 to his family. He was described as a national hero who had sacrificed his today for our tomorrow. He is a symbol of resistance against terrorism. The highest civil award of Pakistan, the Star of Bravery, was awarded to Adazaz by the government of Pakistan. The award was received by his family on Pakistan's National Day. Adazaz was also named as Herald's Person of the Year in 2014. This honour sets out to recognise those individuals in Pakistan who had a profound influence on the news and who embodied, for good or ill, what was important about the year. Adazaz emerged as the winner in a three-way voting process that included online voting, postal ballots and input from a panel of 10 eminent Pakistanis. In Herald's upcoming annual issue, Yusuf Sai, Herald's Person of the Year in 2014, pays tribute to Hassan writing. The International Human Rights Commission has bestowed a Global Bravery Award on Adazaz. A trust fund was set up for his family and his school was renamed as the Adazaz Hassan Shaheed High School. In 2016, a film called Salute was released in tribute to him. It is a biographical film starring prominent Pakistani actors and received positive reviews from critics. Adazaz is survived by his father, his elder brother and three sisters. He remained a source of pride and joy for his elder brother, Mutaba. Local and international media contacted Mutaba for interviews, and he proudly narrated how his brother foiled a terrorist attack.
It has been reported that his family is still living under Taliban threat. The Taliban wrote a letter to Adizaz's family saying that he is neither a martyr nor a hero. Media should abandon promoting him. Unidentified people handed over the threatening letter to a shopkeeper in the village and told him to send it to Adizaz's home. The letter states, Adizaz Hassan's brother, Mutaba Hassan, should stop meeting local and international media channels and newspapers or else he will be responsible for the damages. Adizaz's father asked for protection in the wake of the Taliban threats, but the authorities have yet to respond to his requests and provide security to the family. He also expressed concern at the state of security of the school, saying the government had not provided proper security to the school, while two private security guards are currently assigned the school's protection. The guard salaries are being paid from the pockets of the parents and teachers. He feared that militants might target the school again as they were unable to do so the last time due to his son's sacrifice. He has been further frustrated by the government as they have disappointed him and his family by not keeping the pledges it made after his son's death. He was told that at least two degree colleges would be built in the area, one for girls and one for boys, but unfortunately they have not even allocated land for this. The provincial government had also announced that a road in the area would be named after Adizaz, but this was also not followed up. His father added, We were told that there will be a sports stadium, but our village is still deprived of all the facilities it deserves. We were also told that Adizaz's story will become part of the syllabus being taught at academic institutions of the country. The promise of special monthly funds for the family has also never been given either. Despite the promises not fulfilled, Adizaz's memory continues to be honoured on social media. This year, 2019, marked five years since his death. Ceremonies to pay homage to the teenage hero were organised in various districts during which the speakers paid tributes to him for his courage and sacrifice saving lives. So, what a tragic story. Perhaps it was the environment in which he grew up that made him react in the way that he did. Perhaps he was a teenager who, living with the violence in the region, perhaps he just grew up too soon. A boy who felt responsible for the security of his village, his school and community. Or maybe he was just a little afraid, but mindful of the fact that his friends teased him about running away in the face of a threat, and it was his chance to prove them wrong. So who knows why Adizaz did what he did that day, but what we do know is that he saved nearly 700 boys in the morning assembly that day. While this story could have been about Apple, and yes it was, it was the courageous actions of Adizaz that made it a good apple. There are some photos of him on Facebook and Instagram, and I have also found an absolutely amazing video of an artist named Nathan Williams Lewis paying tribute to Adizaz by making a paper image of him by using a knife. You really have to watch it to see how he did it. 
This is the sort of art that I have so much respect for. And I will put this on the Facebook page. Nathan has done many portraits of many famous people, such as Einstein, Nelson Mandela, and too many more to mention. Now, before we end today, here are a couple of podcast recommendations for you. I'd like to tell you about the podcast Retrostalgia. Yes, it's a mouthful, but it just means nostalgia for something one wasn't alive for. Danny B is the host, and she's only a youngster, unlike myself, and she looks at movies, books, TV shows, and games from the past before her time. As a millennial, she's been told about things before she was born, and she decided to see what all the hype was about. Also, another podcast is called Not Your Teacher, where the host talks to different educators each week about their stories, nightmares, tips, tricks, and current issues in education, all wrapped up with some funny banter. As educators, they keep themselves anonymous using code names instead, such as Pirate, Lady Lashes, Little Mermaid, Mediterranean Mama, and Sexy Pants. So check it out. It sounds interesting, doesn't it? So that brings us to the end of this episode. I'd now like to give you a preview of episode number nine. It's called Too Little, Too Late and Not Guilty. Here's a summary. Ron was a teacher who had an accusation made against him. What was it? An early education teacher was doing his dream job. So why did he quit? To end this episode, I will leave you with this quote. If you want an easy life, don't be a teacher. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.